Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back and thanks for listening to today's episode with Brian Bondi, the CTO and co-founder of Brave, Brave Software. Brian previously was working at the Khan Academy where he focused on developing the interactive learning environment for the programming section. And before that, he was at Mozilla on the Firefox browser. Uh, previous to Mozilla, Brian co-founded two companies in the backup software space, uh, Robobock and VisionWorks. He holds a bachelor's degree in computer science at Waterloo, and he has worked closely with Brendan, who his co-founder created JavaScript, uh, as well as one of the key members at Mozilla. So we talked about Brian's experience working at Mozilla, creating the Firefox browser, what he learned through that experience, and how that enabled him to start Brave. And the success that Brave has is tremendous. They have now about 160 employees. They have a, a coin market cap of roughly 1.5 billion US dollars. And it's been a tremendously successful project. And I think it will continue to be so. I, I think it's a great crypto investment. I think what they're, what they're doing, connecting the publishers uh, directly to people so that people can get paid to watch advertisements and control advertising on the internet. Uh, it's a profound shift in, in the structure of search. So we talked all about that. Uh, really engaging, fascinating conversation, and I hope you enjoy. The show today is sponsored by Otter Labs. At HireOtter.com, you can check out a source for over 1,300 developers that are down in Latin America. Uh, any different skill set, any background and experience level, and they're much less expensive than folks in the U.S. are. So the benefit being that they're on the same time zone as the U.S. And now with everyone going remote, it's a great option. So if you're trying to find full-time, long-term, permanent, embedded developers in your company, check out HireOtter.com. And I hope you enjoy the show with Brian Bondi. All right, Brian, I'm excited to dive in with you today. Uh, I've been a big fan of Brave, uh, both the token, the, the browser, the project, the team for a while. Um, maybe to kick us off, do you want to uh, maybe tell, you, tell me the origin story of Brave? What was kind of the, the team? I know you had worked with Jonathan, uh, your co-founder at Mozilla prior, um, but was there a moment when you guys were like out to lunch or just talking and it clicked where the business model of advertising on the internet can be fundamentally changed 
uh, using the browser in particular as a as a leverage point. Well, yeah, we'd love to hear just kind of the early days. Yeah, well, first, thanks for having me. And um, uh, just a quick question. It's uh, Brendan as the co-founder, Brendan Ike. Uh, oh, what did so, I say? Uh, Jonathan, I think. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but he's he's actually, um, he's pretty well known. He's like the creator of JavaScript yeah. well, and then uh, the co-founder of, uh, of Mozilla. Um, so yeah, so I guess uh, our, our past crossed at Mozilla, um, where I, uh, I did a three-month, I started with a three-month contract there and, and kind of... Um, uh, I was kind of hired in and they weren't too sure if they wanted to hire me at first. Um, so I was kind of left for dead. <laughs> I was with the manager. He's like, yeah, I don't want to have one-on-ones cause I don't do one-on-ones with contractors. So, um, I was given kind of like no guidance of what to work on there and like that. Um, but long story short, like within the first year I had, uh, submitted like over 215 patches. I had posted 200 issues. Um, so I started to work on lots and lots of, bit of things and kind of found my own way within the company. Um, got hired full time right at that three month mark. So they, uh, because of the output that I was, I was doing, they, they knew they wanted to hire me. Um, so, um, got moved to a manager that wasn't as busy. Um, so that I had time to do one-on-ones and stuff. And w- was your attitude then just like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm coming from behind here. I just need to crush it. And you were. Yeah, it was kind of scary. Well, I, I was coming from a startup. Like I had done my own startup before that for about 10 years. Um, so it's coming from that and, uh, I, I left that, which was a good paying job. And, uh, I, I went to Mozilla and it was kind of like a big risk at the time. So I really young ones, uh, young kids at the time. So it was a risk of, this is only for three months. If it doesn't work out, what do I do? So I'm like leaving this company that I had started, uh, to go work at Mozilla at the time. So, yeah. Hmm. Um, so, so yeah, I, I became a peer, which is basically the ability to co- do code reviews on different parts of, uh, of, of the, the code base. Um, uh, so I became a peer on like these sections, like Firefox itself, toolkit, image library, widgets, and a bunch of other sections. Um, I worked on some big features like silent updates. So they didn't have silent updates at first. So, um, updates would be sl- like update adoption would be pretty slow for, for Mozilla Firefox at first. So, uh, I improved that. Worked on uh, Project Snappy, which was basically making Firefox a lot faster, so finding performance bottlenecks and improving it. Um, I did this like website. It was almost like a Khan Academy clone, but a lot smaller scale for uh, mm-hmm. contributors of, of Mozilla. Um, and I made, uh, I don't remember how many, but maybe 50 to 100 different videos there about uh, just onboarding new developers to be able to work on, on Firefox there. Um, and then a bigger project that I worked on was right around the time that Windows 8 came out. Uh, it was a Windows 8 Metro browser. It was like a special kind of browser at the time. Um, so I kind of, that's where I got the experience of creating a browser from scratch, basically from there. Um, and then a little bit of work on Firefox uh, OS as well. Um, but but all, all those things, um, I, I was blogging about them when I did them. And there's this, there's this website called uh, Planet Mozilla, which is an aggregation of all the blog bloggers that, that do work at Mozilla. And a lot of um, article writers like CNET, uh, et cetera, watch that. Um, and so I was kind of mentioned pretty much every Firefox release. I was, I was being mentioned in, about the work that I was doing um, because of the blogs that I was writing. Um, and then that kind of made a name for myself, which kind of led into Brave uh, and, and why Brendan probably originally reached out to me, I think. How big was the team at that point at Mozilla? Uh, when I started at Mozilla, it was about 200 people, I believe. And when I left, it was about 1,600. Uh, 1, so it was a pretty big uh, increase of people. That I, I'm curious what the uh, maybe the early days, or if it changed at all, what the Mozilla model is. It, are they, I mean, it's a free browser, obviously. Um, 
Yeah, not they're not multiple. Yeah. Yeah, they're not for profit, but um, the way that they make money is uh, through a search deal with Google. So um, I think something like 99% maybe of their revenue comes from this search deal. Um, so e- even though they're um, a not for profit, your interest can be kind of swayed, I think, at that point by the person that's paying all the bills. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, is that, it's kind of surprising to me that that would be the strategy for Google, given they have Chrome. And Chrome is newer, I believe, than Mozilla. So Mozilla was first in the market. A lot of the, a lot of the original people from Mozilla left and, and started Chrome. Um, and okay. Chrome also includes like uh, uh, Netscape Public Library. I think it was called NPL. Um, but a big part of the code there is even from from uh, Mozilla's browser. So, it, it, Do you know if Chrome... Is Chrome, uh, Chrome wasn't originated, originated in Google. Is it who, who is it similar in the sense that it's a nonprofit or? No, uh, Chrome is from Google. Um, so they, there is a Chromium browser that Chrome is based on, which is uh, open source. Um, and that's also what Brave is based off of. So there's this Chromium thing and then the Chrome is based off of it. And Brave is also based off that same Chromium thing. Um, and there's deviations from Chromium in each, in each different uh, product as well. Yeah, yeah. 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 Chrome is definitely very google um and it calls it to google a lot and shares a lot of things to google <laughs> yeah totally how did you uh sort of make that decision uh early days whether you build on chromium or take another route yeah so we didn't actually build on chromium to start um so when we first started the company um we decided that like we both came from firefox so it made sense to uh base it off of gecko which is the engine behind firefox um so our first version was based on gecko um, and then we decided to change later on because um, we wanted to kind of at first create this HTML-based browser, which could be um, updated at any time with the UI. Um, but we kind of found that the APIs weren't that built out for it, and basing it off of Chrome would have been a lot easier. Um, and then there's also this uphill battle where all websites, since Chrome has so much market share, they want to be compatible with Chrome um, and not be compatible. They don't necessarily test for smaller share market uh, browsers like Firefox, which sadly it is now a smaller share market browser. Mm-hmm. So uh, for web compat reasons alone, um, it made sense to do the switch at that time while we were still pretty young. And and then we, uh, we rebuilt everything on, um, on Chromium. Yeah. Yeah. Even this website we're using now Riverside FM to record this podcast. Uh, I had previous issues when I was using, uh, it, it was, I forget if I have, I had Mozilla, I was using Chrome. I now use brave, uh, and switching brave and to, to me, brave and Chrome were so interchangeable. I remember the day I got rid of Chrome and it was like, okay, this is, I deleted it off my computer. Let's see if I can survive and yeah. you know, never look back. It's like, cool. you know, yeah. And I have to believe that a lot of that is attributed to the underlying open source Chromium uh, infrastructure that you built on, right? Cause there's some things that just would take you time. It would take other companies time to build into if you, if you didn't do that. Yeah. And when we first started brave as well, so as I mentioned, we started with gecko, we went to chromium, but we actually started after the gecko thing. We, 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 we were based on something called electron, which includes, um, lib chromium content for the rendering it's called. Um, but it wasn't really meant for, for, uh, creating browsers. So like they disable sandboxing, for example, which is a big no, no. <laughs> Um, so, so we had to do a lot of patching on that, but being based on Electron meant we kind of had to recreate the entire UI at that point. Um, so this was like 
the second rewrite after the Gecko rewrite, we rewrote it based on Electron. Um, and then uh, it just became so many small user interface bugs and people, people like really noticed very small differences from Chrome and they didn't like it. Um, so that's why we, we kind of rewrote it again a third time after that, <laughs> when that, when that didn't work out, we wrote it on, um, as a Chromium fork. And then at that point we could adopt all the UI and, and get all the benefits of every Chromium update that, that Google was making. Like if they're adding something to the security panel, we get it. If they add like tab groups, we get it, for example. Um, so what the strategy was at that point was basically we can reuse all of Chromium. Um, we can stub out, uh, any calls that, that happened to Google. Um, they kind of have this account system kind of built in as well. Um, where if you log into one website, you kind of log into the browser. So we didn't want that. Um, we didn't want to auto log in people to like the browser itself. Um, uh, so, so we disabled that as well. Um, if you search, uh, Chromium deviations in Brave, uh, you'll find a wiki page and there's like over 50 different things, uh, services that we kind of disable from Google that kind of just leak your data to Google. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. That's a major, regardless of the whole crypto thing. Uh, which is obviously a big part of the vision with Brave, but just not having defaults on uh, data, like you said, data leaking was like immediately interesting and, and worth using. Yeah. yeah. And then the other big thing that we did really early on was um, uh, tracking protection. So um, when you do tracking protection, you're, you're stopping like malware, you're stopping all these iframes from loading, uh, sometimes you inadvertently stop uh, ads themselves. So there are some good ads, but we, we try to block just the tracking tracking ones that are bad. But when you do block an ad, um, it has a lot of benefits, like you're not using as much memory. Um, you, these ads a lot of times come in the, the form of an iframe. And each iframe then can make like a hundred other sub-resource requests as well. Um, so you're, you're saving like hundreds of, of megs of bandwidth just for like a typical browser session. Um, and and like hundreds or thousands of trackers even, uh, for that same time frame. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like barnacles that have accumulated where. Yeah. And it really makes a difference. Yeah. It makes a huge difference for speed as well. Yeah. In hindsight, was the decision to use Chrome, Chromium obvious? Is it something to where you look back and think, oh, we should have just used them first or. Um, it's hard to say that because like at the time we had a very small team, right? Um, so we started with a little bit of funding. We hired a small team. Um, and a lot of the team, like my, my background is mostly C++, so it would have made sense. Um, but a lot of the team's background was more like JavaScript heavy. Um, and Electron allows you to create your user interface with like HTML and JS. Um, so we were able to get to market with a product a lot faster by basing it off of like Electron was, was the first browser that we actually released. Um, and if we would have went with Chromium, it's hard to say whether, like, if we would have even got to that first step, right? Um, we were able to, with the strategy that we did pick, we were able to get something released and get some adoption and get our, our name out there uh, and start to reveal our plans. But if we would have went the other way, maybe we wouldn't have even got there, right? Um, mm-hmm. So it, it's hard to say, but yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't have regrets. I mean, everything. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> and, and who knows? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and from the user's perspective, they wouldn't know the difference, or would they? When you switched from, say, Electron to, uh, it was a big, uh, a big difference of how it how it looked and, and felt. Um, so, uh, everyone kind of wanted Chrome, but without tracking. Um, and 
they were kind of just putting up with Brave and we actually became something that people wanted to use once we made the switch. And before that, people kind of felt like, yeah, I should use this, but I really hate having to use it because it just doesn't work quite right. Um, and after we made the switch, everyone was just happy to launch it. They would go yeah. first, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What do, what's uh, Google's attitude around Chromium? I, I know open source obviously has the benefit of allowing many different people to contribute to projects for free. So you can build something sort of um, decentralized. I don't know if that's, yeah, that's kind of the right word. Um, in this case, it kind of works against them because Brave would be a competitor to Chrome. Chrome yeah. provides the obviously the search engine by default with Google, and that's Google's largest revenue source. Um, is that, in hindsight, do they look at the Chromium project and think, oh, we should have kept that in-house? Or is this just kind of yeah, incredible? They, I think it, they they couldn't do that, even if they wanted to, because a lot of the browser um, is reused from previous open source projects. Um, so because of that license, um, they needed to keep the same license, basically, for what they built on top of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so even if they wanted to do that, they couldn't today or even before they couldn't do that either. Um, but, but yeah, like uh, today, like, let's say they could do it hypothetically. Um, today there's like operas based on it. Uh, Microsoft edge is based on it. We're based on it. So it wouldn't be hard for all these companies to come together to create that other open source fork. Um, and Google benefits just as well as we do from all the contributions from all these different browser projects as well. Like the whole code base benefits basically because everyone's contributing to that same code base. I mean, we each have our own forks and a lot of the changes only go into our forks, but there is that commonality that gets uplifted everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just on the uh, Brave company itself, just to set the scale of it. So yeah. tell me if these numbers are, are off significantly, but it seems like about, from what I researched, about 160 people work at the company. There's about 45 million raised. And with the token, looks like about a billion dollar market cap on the token. Does that seem about right? for the yeah i haven't checked the token recently so i'm not sure um yeah the rest of the numbers sound about right it's about it's uh 50 million monthly active users um which is pretty significant right uh last year in december it was only at 24 million um and for the past five years we've been doubling uh in user growth so by the end of this year like we expect probably about 100 million monthly active users using using brave yeah yeah brave was the first token i bought uh outside of bitcoin I was, I remember watching the the video and I was uh, watching the early pitch and thinking like, this makes so much sense and it's such a big idea. Um, So yeah, uh, on, on the token economics or tokenomics is, has this changed? So as I understand it, there's uh, tokens that are minted by the brave organization. People can pay, people can uh, use these tokens to buy, to uh, through the Brave browser, advertisers can uh, show people ads. The option for consumers who are using the browser is optional to watch the ads. And if people choose to watch the ads, then they receive uh, a portion of that token that their advertiser is paying. And then there's a fee, you know, browser. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very close. So like um, how I describe it is like there's there's advertisers, there's users, and there's publishers. So we'll start with advertisers. The advertiser wants to advertise, right? So they go to Brave and they're like, we want to advertise our product or our service or our crypto project, whatever it is, right? 
Um, so then they can either buy those ads that are, are delivered to the Brave users. Um, they can either buy it with that or they can buy it with USD. So that is the Brave token that you're talking about. It's called Basic Adventure Token. Um, so if they use USD, then what we do is we turn around and buy back with that. Um, and then we distribute 70% of that revenue share directly to the users that are using the browser that have ads enabled. Um, so ads for the users are not enabled by default. It's an opt-in thing. Um, and users can um, turn it on and then they can later turn it off. If they don't like it, whatever they want to do. Um, and those ads come up as kind of like system notifications. So it's not like a traditional web browser where it's like within the content or big mm-hmm. flashing ad that's blocking your or pop up ad or whatever, right? Um, the system notifications, so they're a little bit less invasive, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so users that turn it on, they get this revenue share um, in, in, into their um, their Brave Rewards section, basically, um, in the form of BAT. Um, and then they can use that BAT. Um, uh, there's a feature called Auto Contribute, which basically figures out of all the websites that you visit, the like the percentage of time that you spend on them, and then it makes contributions to those websites automatically. Um, or else they can also just do like a one-time tip of the bat that they have to like a content creator like yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so content creators, anyone that has a website, uh, a Twitch account, a Twitter account, a GitHub account, etc. Um, and how you sign up to be, a, we call it a verified creator, is you go to like creators.brave.com and you can sign up for that. And that basically gives all Brave users the ability to be able to auto-contribute to you or to tip to you. Mm, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And some of the other projects too, or at least one of them is that you have the, uh, bat tip button integrated into social networks. So on Twitter, you could go on, uh, I saw Twitter, but I imagine you have, or are at least planning on doing things like stack overflow for places where people are contributing to networks. Uh, yeah, there's, there's stack overflow, there's GitHub. Like if you like someone's, uh, someone works on an issue or a pull request for you and, and, and you want to tip them, you can do that with the, with the inline tip button. Is Reddit on there? Yeah. Reddit's yeah. On there. Which, which are the most used of the, of the popular networks can use? Um, I don't know offhand, but I can look it up. There's this contributor site named, um, bravebat.info. Um, it's not even run by us, but they kind of, uh, get the data. Uh, so it looks like uh, YouTube is the highest, um, and then Twitter, and then Reddit's about the same size as uh, any typical website around the same size as Twitch, Vimeo, and GitHub's about half of half of what a website is. Yeah. Is. Um, is there? How does the uh, Brave organization function? So seventy percent of what a advertiser would pay goes to the user, thirty percent, or some portion close to that goes to the publisher. Um, how does the brave organization structure itself? Um, actually 70% goes to the user, 30% goes to brave. Um, and then the users then contribute to the website so that they visit with that 70%. Typically they could put in funds separate from that and contribute that way as well. But typically it's from the, the amount from the revenue share that they'll contribute. Okay. Okay. And would a, uh, would it, would a, say YouTube creator, Reddit, you know, somebody on the social media site or somewhere, would they have a indication as to what they should expect? I mean, is there a, do you see like tipping converges at, you know, 1% of whatever consumers? Yeah. The users can, can log on to like creators.brave.com and they can set whatever levels they want for the tip levels. Um, and it kind of, when you do click to tip a certain creator, it'll come up with like the different options that they pre-selected and, and uh, users can tip at that level. 
Mm-hmm. So for some, might be a tip of one that might be appropriate, but for others, maybe they don't have a lot of users and their high quality content or something like that. They might want to put the levels at, I don't know, like a hundred bet or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. That way, yeah. It's kind of interesting, like tip tipping. Um, I know early on I interviewed one of the guys at Coinbase and they were launching this tipping product. This was like 20, oh man, I want to say 2016, 2017. And uh, it didn't work out. Uh, they dropped the product. And uh, if I remember, Nick Tamanio was the the product manager of it. And he said it just didn't get adoption. Obviously, that was a different world, you know, and, and that it wasn't nearly as adopted, uh, crypto in general, five years ago. But is tipping, do you, it's not obvious to go with tipping. I'm sure you guys had a lot of conversations about that internally, whether it's tipping mm-hmm. or set by publishers themselves. How do you think about tipping? Because obviously inherent to tipping is the voluntary nature of it. You know, you're willingly giving people money as opposed to having a fixed set price for it. Yeah, I think that's where the auto contribute comes in. And that's like on, on when you turn on ads, that's on by default. And it'll auto contribute to those, those verified creators for you. So you don't have to go through that explicit action. Uh, there are a subset of users though that want to earn that that um, and then they can disable the auto contribute and never tip and just withdraw the bet if they want to. And that's their their right to do. Just like they could use a different browser with uBlock, for example, or even Brave with uBlock and, and block things. There's, there's no yeah. way to do that. But at least the publishers are, are getting um, some portion of those users that are blocking uh, that. Whereas if they were using, for example, Chrome with uBlock, they wouldn't be getting any any kind of compensation. So it does allow um, publishers like yourself to, to monetize from those users in some way. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, do you see that as the end state? Does that feel, I I, I don't know what the answer is, but it, it's, uh, I would think that it, it's, how to articulate this? Tipping to me feels a bit vulnerable to sways where people can all of a sudden just right. decide to not tip and still yeah. use the product. Um, even the Chrome extension with, with uBlock, uh, it's, yeah. it seems like if, the, if, if Chrome really wanted to prevent that, they could, I, I don't know if that's technically possible, but it, I mean, well, they could stop doing extensions. Like they're already kind of um, limiting what extensions can do. So, um, but but you can still block though. You set the block in a different way and a less ideal way, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, the reason it's better is because the ad system in general, like the way the ads work today in, in Chrome when you're browsing the web, is that all your information is getting sucked in and shared throughout these ad networks. With Brave, what happens is that. Brave delivers to each of these browsers an ad catalog, and then there's on-device machine learning that's matching your interests to that ad catalog uh, ads. Um, and then basically, um, those ads are, are displayed. So your your information never leaves the device in that because the ad matching is happening on your device and it's not happening in these ad networks. So at least for the user, um, it's a much better deal because like your privacy is uh, withheld and... and uh, uh, you can get paid for, for viewing yeah. ads, which in the traditional system, you would never get paid for, for viewing yeah. ads. It's like, you kind of get a bad deal that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so what's your, what's your favorite part about working on this project now? You've been on it for uh, quite a while, six, five years, six years, something in that ballpark. Yeah. Um, are you more energized now than when you started? Or are you feeling like uh, you're you know, you guys have largely accomplished what you set out to do. How do you sort of relate to the product uh, mission? Yeah, I think I think it's always different. So um, that that keeps me interested as well. So like when we started, we were two people, right? <laughs> Brendan and I. Mm-hmm. Um, and then over time, um, it's grown and grown and grown. And we're at about like 160, I think, people now. 
Um, so there's different challenges as you go along, but, um, I think I find like the most exciting parts is where, um, I'm working on like a major rewrite. Like for example, when we created, uh, we call it brave core when we went off of electron and onto this, this new chromium fork. Um, and you're just kind of like hacking away, um, doing late nights, working on things and there's no like release pressure at all. And then eventually you get to that point where you release it. Um, so that was probably one of the best projects I think that, that I worked on. Um, and then also like this, um, cryptocurrency wallet that we released recently was kind of like the same thing. We like had this big vision of, of a product we want to do and we were able to just kind of like create it from scratch and figure out how it works. And that was like a lot of fun basically. Yeah. Yeah. How do you how do you, how do you uh, spend your time learning about uh, crypto? Do you just focus on what you need to build at Brave, or do you consciously attend to other projects and and research them? And uh, I'm curious how you allocate your time to stay up. Yeah, I listen to a lot of podcasts. Like, like I do uh, running most mornings, and uh, I'll listen to podcasts on those runnings, and usually like crypto uh, related content. So a lot of it's from that. Um, I would say the interest first started probably around the time that we started with Brave because the very first Brave version um, had a prototype to tip with Bitcoin. Um, and actually, we released it. it was more than a prototype. It was actually released that way. But the transaction fees um, just got to be crazy high. Like they were like $40, $50, something like that. And you can't tip someone uh, a dollar or, or even less than that, let's say. You can't tip someone a few baht, for example, if you're paying $40 USD for a transaction yeah. fee. It doesn't make sense, yeah. right? Um, or in that case, Bitcoin, but yeah. 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 What are your favorite podcasts? What do you listen to? Um, like data dash, um, uh, what are the other ones? Uh, I, I don't know. There's, there's a bunch of them. That I listen yeah. to. I have a big list of it. Yeah. 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 Box mining is another one. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm curious on the, on the, the wallet and the the bat, just the architecture of it. Uh, do you recall what some of the major decisions were when you were thinking about how uh, both the creation of the token would work, allocation? Um, obviously, there's some big decisions that you have to make when you you start off building this. Uh, I'm yeah. curious what those were and how you thought through those. Um, so yeah, the token sale was. Uh, Oh, you mentioned earlier, like that we could create supply, but like it's it's a it's a cap supply. It was originally going to be like one, or it is still one point five uh, billion tokens, and then there was part of that, which was I think three hundred million of those tokens were part of the user growth pool, which was basically to incentivize the growth of Brave and, and Bat uh, ecosystem. Um, and uh, yeah, the, I think the token sale was like sold out within like. Uh, I think it was like 30 seconds or something like that or less, maybe <laughs> it was like pretty instant. Um, when, when the token sale started, I kind of like reloaded the page to see if it had started yet. And by the time the page finished reloading, um, it was taking a bit to reload. And by the time it finished reloading, I just saw a Slack message. And it's like, it's done. I'm like, what do you mean it's done? Because <laughs> we weren't really? sure it was going like if everything was going to sell or not. Yeah. And obviously that was far faster than you thought it was going to be. What, what attributed to yeah, that? Yeah, it was insane. Yeah, and I think the way that it was set up was that if it didn't reach whatever the goal was, then all the the tokens would be like refunded, basically returned. So, um, like at the time, we weren't sure. Um, I, I guess it probably should have had a higher higher price. <laughs> <laughs> Thirty seconds, man, that's crazy. That must have been one of the fastest ever. 
was, yeah. Yeah, and it was 36 million raised uh, in under 30 seconds, yeah. 36 million. That has to be by far the fastest raise start to finish. Right? I mean, yeah, that's... I'm not sure. I, I didn't keep track yeah. of others, but... The, yeah, it was, it was regardless. Like, time, yeah. yeah. And that was kind of... What, what What year was that? 2017? 18? Uh, so. Yeah, I think 17. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of in during that um, peak ICO time, which certainly helps, right? Yeah, I think that came just after after token sale. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So in hindsight, uh, I guess knowing what you know now, just just for for kicks, would you have raised more? Is that kind of the conclusion when it's sold out that fast? We definitely could have. Yeah. 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 Um. <laughs> so uh, go back in time we could have probably did 10x <laughs> yeah 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 uh fascinating so uh you didn't do another sale obviously you do one and then no. the the currency's out there and you have a fixed cap um how did you how did you choose that how, how did you choose the 1.5 billion uh tokens um i think like we wanted to keep it the just unit bias, right? So, like, you don't want to have a smaller amount. Um, and there's unit bias, I guess, that matters that comes into play. Um, you don't want each each token, for example, costing a thousand dollars, whatever. Um, but like, each token can be divided, uh, I think, to eighteen decimal places. So, um, yeah, I, I think around the the dollar mark made sense, uh, mm-hmm. like as an initial kind of target or whatever. But yeah, yeah. So, do you think of it as um, how much money flow? I mean, if this doesn't make any sense, stop me. But do you think of it as how much money flows through uh, online advertising today, and then factor in if if Brave were to, you know, take over, say, thirty percent of that or some significant portion of it, then there would be X number of Brave tokens people would re- be receiving per day based on how many people use the. Now, there's, 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 if you look at the white paper, I think it's on. Um, the, the basic attention token website, uh, the, the white paper kind of gets into the economics of it um, and like the velocity of, mm-hmm. and all these different calculations about how, how that works. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone else mostly worked on that though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you, you didn't dive much into the white paper portion of it in at that time. Yeah, it was uh, Scott Scott Lachlan, I think, was the, the the main the main person that was that was basically creating that ERC-20 contract. Yeah, yeah. So what's going on now? What, what are you most excited about when you show up and work on Brave? Um, yeah, so I think, like, what I really like working on lately is, um, like, the Web3 vision kind of thing. So, like, uh, last year we added in uh, IPFS support built into the browser so you can access, um, by default, when you install Brave, you can access a lot more sites than you can in a browser like Firefox or Chrome because you can't even access those sites without uh, extra extensions. And if you do, then uh, you have to kind of run your own node on the side as well, which is kind of uh, not great, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you have uh, access to a lot more content um, on IPFS. Uh, I think like DApps is is a big big thing as well. So the ability to um, just go to Uniswap, for example and swap tokens that you have. Um, you can't do that without installing MetaMask or another extension or Coinbase Wallet, for example, on Chrome. Um, so just, yeah, just access to this kind of new world of Web3, I think is, is a exciting thing to me. Yeah. How do you think about it? I mean, how do, how do you think of uh, Web3? Web3 and the metaverse, people have such different concepts of it. I think the Facebook video and, and 
pivot. Uh, certainly put it in the forefront of many people's minds, but it's not obvious how it rolls out. We obviously have the movie, the matrix to model our future after. Um, but what, what do you, uh, how do you sort of conceptualize what is in the near to near to medium term? Yeah. I mean, it make a lot of it makes sense with the metaverse. Like, um, you, there's COVID going around and things like that. Like if you meet someone online, you're not going to be susceptible to that, like sickness and things like that. But I like the real world. <laughs> there's there's this thing with connecting with nature that you need to get out there and um, it's good for your mental health and your, your, your being to, to get out there. Um, so I hope people don't kind of shut in and live in this virtual world and become unhealthy. That would be a bad thing. Um but but I, I think there's a lot of growth happening, and there's more and more uh, Web three users every day. And uh, I really think that browsers like Firefox or Chrome um, or Safari um, have missed the boat. Basically, um, are, are missing the boat, and I don't think they're going to be trying to get on the boat until it's too late. Basically. Hmm. So, so what? Let me ask you this way: uh, What in what way would an average person who works from home on their computer, how would they tactically interface with Web three, uh, mm-hmm. three years. You know, in a few years, when it's when it's really substantial, when people aren't just trading, uh, yeah, currencies. Yeah, I mean, just going to any website um, that has Web three backend, like the user might not even realize like that it'll be using it. But um, today, they kind of there's this wallet icon when you install Brave and. When you go to a site, you can click on this connect to DAP button. Once you connect, it kind of gives permission through a public panel that comes up. Um, so I, I think these user interfaces are going to be improved more and more. You might not even realize in the future that the website that you're using uh, requires uh, a connection to the, the blockchain that you're using, whether that be Solana or Ethereum. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll be kind of just built in. Um, and right now, today, like you kind of have this thing where web browsers are one thing, wallets are another thing. I see those things as kind of the same product over time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like the web browser is the wallet. Um, they're both needed for, for this access to this new, new uh, layer, mm-hmm. whether that's like swapping tokens in a token economy or um, um, logging into something. It's like an identity provider as well. Um, NFTs, for example, uh, there's, there's a lot of different use cases, but, uh, yeah, and there's a lot that's not discovered as well that people will see over time. Do you do you see uh, the the browser <clears throat> maybe at, at least brave, maybe more so the browser being a component of the two dimensional rectangular interface that we're using now, and that the concept of a browser will fundamentally change when, if and when we we put on some kind of head mm-hmm. head set, you know, not Oculus per se, but if there is a very lightweight, easy, I I could see, by the way, Apple's biggest product could be this, this thing, the Apple, Mm -hmm. Apple watch, Apple, they already have Apple watch, Apple vision. Yeah. (laughs) I could, I bet vision's what they end up going, who knows, but if there's there's augmented reality and then there's VR. I think both those are gonna, gonna grow over time. Yeah. Yeah. in, in that circumstance, when, when you do uh, wear something that provides you the, 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 the richness of an experience that you have when you look through your own eyes, um, I, there is no browser at that point, right? Or, 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 or is there in some capacity? Or how do you think of that? There's maybe like spaces or something. Like there's, there's like, like 
a space is kind of like a tab almost, right? There's different tabs and you can zoom out of it and you mm-hmm. can see all the different spaces or all the different tabs and you can zoom into a different one and join that space, mm-hmm. for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's, it's kind of very similar in concept. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a window, right? And yeah. It's like, yeah, which, which world are you currently zoomed into? And you can zoom out and join a different world. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, is that a topic of conversation in any practical sense internally, or is that just kind of too far out to even think about? Um, yeah, I think it's a little bit far. Like users, I think are still want, like they, they still want a traditional web browser, but there are people that are looking into like user interface, different ways to look at user interface. And there's, there's a bunch of uh, different startups as well that are trying out different things, mm-hmm. um, different web browsers. Um, so I don't know what the ideal interface is. It's probably not like the way that it is now with Chrome where you just you know, Chrome and Brave, where you have like infinite tabs and your tab bar just gets bigger and bigger over time until you get tired and you close the whole window and then restart yeah. from scratch. Yeah. yeah there's, there's gotta be better ways to organize that. I think they'll be discovered over time as well. Yeah. Is that exciting to you? I, I, I get the subtle vibe that you're, you're not, you, uh, don't find it particularly compelling or at least it's yeah, I'm super, I'm super practical pers- personally, but yeah. luckily Brave has a lot of different type of people working. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, I'm not a user interface guy whatsoever. I'm more of like a backend type of engineer. So that that's probably yeah. why you get that. Vibe, yeah. 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 Very fair. Very fair. <clears throat> um, are you particularly excited about other projects or other things um, outside of Brave uh, uh, technical projects or other? Um. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see like real use cases for NFTs evolve over time. Like whether that be like property ownership and and just different things like that. Different use cases, I guess, for NFTs evolving and just seeing where the crypto market goes in general. Like it's it's like watching a good uh, TV series, just staying up to date with crypto news because there's always something going down. So. Yeah, totally, totally. I know, I know. I, I love the intersection too of uh, how how crypto. How, how whatever is being built in crypto, whether it's decentralized finance, NFTs, et cetera, how it intersects with the, with the real world. There was a good, um, you know, there's, I always find the interviews that, uh, that leaders of crypto companies will do with politicians being so entertaining. Cause that's like, that's like where the rubber meets the road. They're like, so Mr. Coinbase, tell me about this, uh, USDC and what you're trying to do to the dollar. And it's, it's super interesting, right? Cause that's, you know, policy is, you know, we live in a physical world, uh, while we're creating a digital one laws are, uh, you know, very practical and, and influential. Um, is there, is, does that play a role? Do you see obviously being in Canada, there's very close relationship to the U S um, are are there parts of the world or either internally with your team or users that, um, that throw up big challenges, uh, whether it's, you know, working is brave in China at all. Can it, can it be in China? Um, it can, I think we're, I think brave.com is blocked in China yeah. unless you're using a VPN. Yeah. Yeah. Um, probably because of the built in like tour support that we have, um, like you can create a tour window, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, through the interface. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Canada's it, like it was at least uh, it has an ETF there, which is good. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. about, about ETF, which is good. So I hope the US will, will do the same eventually. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Um, what do you what think about privacy? Is that is that a overrated or underrated subject? Say, take the uh, you know on the on the on the biggest spectrum, you have like the Edward Snowden release, the Prism program, where 
the U.S. government is instituting backdoor policies to major tech companies, and that's now yeah, it's, public. it's definitely important for for a segment of users for sure. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's like the end all, like complete most important thing to users. Um, it has a lot of beneficial side effects as well. Like like I mentioned, like the speed of the browser, like you can load a page several factors of times faster by by blocking those those trackers and, and things that you don't want. Um, the whole uh, ad system that I described as well is um, built around allowing users to keep their privacy, um, not not letting Google own own you as well um, by using Brave. Like you get basically the same UI with uh, enhancements, um, a lot a lot of different enhancements like uh, uh, Speed Reader, for example, Brave News, for example. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, even outside of Brave, I'm thinking there's a lot of people who are very uh, skeptical slash cautious um, slash angry about having their data being collected and organized by large companies who are, you know, seeking profit and leak that to the government. Uh, It's fine if we have, you know, perfect policies and rational uh, moral systems and, you know, but obviously we don't. And there's, there's always edge cases. Um, you know. yeah, the, the best way to, to protect against that moral dilemma is just to do what Brave does, and it's just have zero user data. Don't don't collect user data whatsoever. There's no chance of breach. There's no no yeah. temptation. There's no uh, way for a government agency to sway you because you don't have that data in the first place. Yeah, is that is there is there a big pushback? Obviously, blocking all the um, the ad trackers is not what the ad trackers want, and there's a lot of companies and money behind that. Is there is there any pressure, uh, or are they perfectly fine to say, "Oh, you know"? No. Yeah, it's, surprisingly, there's been no pushback. Really, mm. um, like maybe like in the very first year when the whole concept of Brave came out, there was people that didn't like it at first, like those types of, of uh, yeah. people. But um, since then, no, not really. <laughs> That's um, awesome. <laughs> yeah, just basically, like the, the users in control of which content they yeah. consume and they want to consume it. Um, so there's no like legal basis against. Um, blocking certain things that a user doesn't want to see because the user gets to decide. That's why it's called a user agent. That's what, yeah. that's what a browser is called. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it really is an evolution of the browser. I mean, it did kind of get clunky and congested with all the ad trackers. And, you know, I think in a in a in the world that we live in, people that were working in these companies saw the ability to aggregate that data and sell better insights to companies who could yeah. you know, sell it. So it made sense that they would do that, but it also makes sense that there would be a you know, I think of Brave as like the backlash to that. The the opportunity for Brave exists because there was so much advertising without consent. Yeah, there's there's not just like um, a user doesn't have to go to their browser and type in YouTube.com and load a page, for example. Like a browser might evolve, like Brave might evolve to just have you want to access YouTube. Okay, here's your video viewer, and it's optimized for for YouTube, but it has none of the page loading or anything else from, from YouTube, for example. So that that's possible. And there's a lot of different, um, similar things, I guess that like you can have custom interfaces depending on the site and only load what you want to load. Um, yeah. 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 It's really up to the user to decide how they want to consume content. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you another question just cause I have you here and it's slightly off base, but I'm always, I'm just fascinated. So, uh, Brendan, um, you guys were, were the two founders of the company. Uh, what's it like working with, with him? He's obviously a super smart guy, um, yeah. both technically. And then I think, uh, um, how would you say it? Like he, uh, his understanding of how the world works, uh, is, is really sharp. Um, 
what do you notice working with him versus other people? Yeah. So if you like went to dinner with him, you'd quickly realize that he's you know, like an expert in everything. <laughs> so no matter what you're talking to him with, he's, he's definitely the most intelligent person that I know. Like he's, he's an expert in pretty much everything that you talk to him about. Um, like talking to me, then just I come off as like an average person, but <laughs> I mean, you definitely, you definitely realize the difference there. <laughs> So, so yeah, he's, he's a really, really interesting guy to, to know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like working with him is great. Cause the, like you get to, um, learn things and he, he's not like, um, the way he manages is kind of stepping back and letting things play out. Um, and maybe very gently suggesting something and then giving you the agency to decide how, how you, how that plays out yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, definitely learning a lot from, from having worked with him. Yeah. Is he aggressively reading books or is it just a, uh, you know, genetic <laughs> ability to remember literally everything he hears? Yeah. I'm not sure. I, yeah. I assume he reads a lot of books. Though. Yeah, I think I've mentioned some books before and he, he's, he's heard of them, but yeah. I've also mentioned like something like South Park references before. And he also knew those. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. It's important. You know, you have to be rounded, well-rounded enough to know what, what everyone else is watching and listening to stay yeah. relevant. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that's cool. That's interesting. Um, although not really surprising given given his background. Um, right. Uh, it's, I, I, so ultra marathons. Uh, you and I both have done a few. You've done much longer and more of them than I have, but I certainly dipped my toe in to get a feel for them. <clears throat> uh, so, what 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 motivates you to keep going on them? So I I get the appeal and I share your interest in the right. experience of running outdoors for long distances and being away from human beings in nature is a fucking yeah. awesome experience. Uh, and I love also the feeling of pushing your body to the point where you f- you find what the the borders are, um, exactly. being drained, crying, you know, falling, getting cut, keep going. It feel there's a, something about it that's like super primal um do you just keep do you feel uh, yeah how do you relate to it how's your i think i like i honestly i i need it to be a better person i think honestly uh there's a lot of stress from running a company like tons and tons of stress and there's always people messaging you nonstop at all times and just a lot of work and uh it gives you that away time where you're just completely in control if you want to turn left you can turn left if you want to go right you turn right like you can just run out to uh, some random county wherever you want. Um, so it's, yeah, uh, it, it's very good for mental health and, uh, keeping the stress levels down. And I think that's like the main motivation for it. It just allows me to be a better person, I think in general and not be a jerk to people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So it keep, keeps me sane. Yeah. Yeah. Are there other things you've noticed that, uh, that over the years you do that help you either be more productive, sane, um, uh, whether it's, like one thing I've noticed is just uh, uh, when I eat, if I'm if I'm not eating a breakfast, then I'm irritated. I have low attention in the mornings. That tends to carry on throughout the day. Um, you know, I'm I'm 34 and I'm just starting to realize this about myself. Uh, are there other things? Are you do you take the attitude of you know on one end of the spectrum? Some guys just come in hot in the morning and they're just like blitz as hard as they can all day till they fall asleep. Um, or do you? Yeah. Or is this, do you think about these kind of things? Like food, food wise, like, and I'm, I'm probably the same way. Like if I don't eat, I, I get grumpy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I like to eat and I, I guess that that's a good thing. Cause I 
that I do all this running because I like to eat as well. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. Yeah, you definitely do eat more. <clears throat> Although I find it, uh, regardless of how much I ran, it was always, I could always be fat. I could always eat more food than I could burn. That's one thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah look, I guess the longer the distances, the the more that is probably true. Like the, I think the skinniest runners are probably the ones that are doing like 5Ks, 10Ks at super fast speeds. And then as, as you get to the higher and higher distances, you can you can still do it and be more bulky because it's a different type of muscle. And yeah. So it's slow twitch versus instead of the fast twitch fibers. Yeah, muscles. totally. Uh, what, give me the description of what you've, where the stats on the number of races you've done, I guess, uh, hundred milers, 50 milers marathons. Yeah. Uh, the longest one I did was over 200 K. I'm still working on a 200 mile run. I want to get to between the 48 hour time frame. <laughs> Um, the, the type of races that I like the most are called backyard ultra races. Yeah. Um, so with those, you have like a, kind of like a mini race, um, a mini run, a mini loop every single hour. So you do 6.7 kilometers every hour. Yeah. Uh, and each hour that starts again. So if you're not back by the time the next one starts, then you're out of the race and there's no set distance. It just keeps going until there's one person left. Hmm. Um, so yeah, that's, that's probably the format that I'll eventually get to that. That 200 mile that I'm that I'm shooting for hopefully this year. Um, what, what's that race? Uh, there's a documentary on it. Uh, it's like 20 mile loops. Barkley marathon. Yeah, Barkley. Yeah. Have you yeah, yeah. looked into that in any serious way? Yeah. Um, the one that I mentioned, uh, the the backyard ultras. There's one that's called Big's Backyard, which is kind of like the World Series of those. So all the winners of the backyard ultra races go and they compete at Big's Backyard. Now, if you win Big's Backyard, then you can get into Barkley. Uh, wow. It's all run by the same guy, Lazarus Lake, who I had the opportunity to meet. Uh, really? Which is, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And I, I saw, I watched the documentary and I loved his, uh, you know, you have to pay the the admittance fee of uh, something like a dollar twenty five or something, whatever it was. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think you have to bring a license plate or something for that one. Too. Where did you meet him? <laughs> Um, I, I did, uh, it was called little dog backyard ultra. Um, so it was the exact same course as the Biggs world series. Uh, and it's like a week or two before, uh, I think it's just kind of like to test things out mm-hmm. for the big bigger race. Um, so I got invited to that cause, um, a guy that I knew, um, knows Lazarus. Um, so he got me into it luckily. Um, so I was able to, uh, yeah, do that course and kind of experience it. And now I got to try to, uh, this year, try to win to get, uh, uh, a representation into Big's uh, uh, backyard. Yeah, <laughs> so, so I'll be trying to do that this year. That's so. If you were to cover two hundred miles, you're now pushing the limits of sleep. Uh, you're pushing yeah. what else? Ew. What other factors start to become major challenges? Uh, obviously, the what I've had trouble with in the past is sometimes I'll have like gut issues and yeah, like, which leads to vomiting and things like that. Yeah. Uh, so if you can keep that under control, the sleep is is. Uh, probably more difficult than even like the muscle strain and just uh you, you have to keep on top of things but as time goes on you have less and less time to do things so you kind of have to prioritize like do i want to stretch for the two minutes that i have this loop before the next loop happens or do i want to um take a bite to eat or mm-hmm. what do you want to do so mm-hmm. do you ever feel uh, hallucinogenic do you do you start to have you ever had visions or yeah I've heard of tons of people that have had that. I haven't had that yet. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see. <laughs> but if, if I get to like the, the level that I want to get to, then yeah, that's probably in my future. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. And how young are you now? Uh, 40. Nice. nice. Okay. So you still, uh, yeah, I wouldn't say young. <laughs> that's pretty young. Uh, there's some guys. Yeah. Yeah. It does feel like a kind of, it's, oddly enough, it's the kind of sport that, it, that, you know, there's certainly a major athletic component to it, which favors people who are younger, but there are a lot of people I see who are quite a bit older, who are, you know, very competitive, like in their, yeah, race. honestly, the, most of the winners of like the backyard ultra format that I mentioned are, are older, like they're in their forties. So a lot of them sometimes even in their fifties. Um, so it's pretty awesome to when like a 50 year old can compete with a 26 year old, for yeah. example. Yeah. Um, and also there's no difference, um, stats wise between, uh, females and males in that format as well. Um, so there's no two divisions in that format. There are, there's just one division because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, statistically like females do at least as good as the males in that, that, in that, super long distance format really is there a mileage where it's it 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 evens out um i think speed wise there's a difference but for the backyard format where it's just like see what your endurance is and how how long it can go there's no difference wow it's kind of interesting i wonder if that's a like an evolutionary trait where if people throughout our history you know for tens of thousands of years would have to make really long uh journeys you know tribes of people yeah, there probably is something like that, yeah, because yeah. otherwise uh, you would only have, like, for example, males making it to the destination. Like, yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you need both. Yeah, maybe that's it. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Um, do, what, and do you tune into, you mentioned podcasts, but do you also, do you think about work? Are you, are, some people I know will process really complex ideas and, you know, have insights, whether... Yeah. It's kind of like um, in the shower. Sometimes you'll have some some insight. The same thing happens with running, like because your mind's just mm-hmm. you allow your mind to wander. Um, I do a lot of audio books when running, and uh, if, if I'm like super tired, I'll upgrade to music, and yeah. uh, it'll help me grind out the rest of the run. Yeah, yeah. I, I, there's somebody I was talking to recently who said that uh, he had a kind of a good explanation about how how that works he was talking about walking next to people like a walk and talk with a coworker or something and that the concept he laid out was that when you when you when you're walking unlike when you're sitting you have information processing going on and so that's using up a big part of your your conscious attention and then the subconscious mind is what can you can more easily shift the conversation into the subconscious and that subconscious layer can put together patterns that are more abstract and not as uh, literal or logical uh and that's kind of the the insight moment is when the 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 non-rational intersects with our conscious mind and um well, yeah i liked i don't know to I, what degree that is true but it does resonate with me i do know like i have um my basement i have a treadmill with a desk kind of built into it um and i'll a lot of times i'll walk and work and i do find that the time that i'm walking and working i'm like ultra productive at all times um so the, the your mind doesn't get as lazy, I guess, uh, when you're, when you're really walking. Up. E- so even, even deep technical work you can do while walking. Yeah. yeah I like do coding and everything. Wow. Yeah. I always found really technical work incredibly challenging. If I'm, if anything else is going on, uh, this could just, uh, no, no, I think it's just like subconsciously you can just kind of get in the zone, uh, maybe easier. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but mind you, like when I'm doing that, I'm, it's a very slow pace. You're just really walking slow, but you're still walking. Well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you see yourself staying deeply technical for the rest of your career or, or do you, uh, see a change to getting more into, I mean, obviously you're, you're leading the technical team now. Um, Mm -hmm. I guess maybe another way to ask that question is, are you still deep in the technical weeds today? 
Yeah, yeah, I still do like a ton of coding more than I probably should in my current role, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it, it's always interesting to me a lot. I guess I have an obsessive personality, that's why I do the running as well, yeah. but uh, we've got hooked into coding and programming and uh, tech things really early on and spent tons and tons of time on it. So yeah, yeah, it, it still just keeps me out of it. Like, I'm never looking at the clock. Uh, mm-hmm. When I first started working when I was young. Um, I was growing up on a farm, for example, and uh, it was like watching the clock, watching the, the minute hand go by at all times, trying to wait for the end of that day. Um, and that made me a really hard worker, I think, but it's, yeah, it sucks. <laughs> yeah. Why were you watching the clock? Because you, you didn't you didn't like what you were doing? At the, working on a farm, it's like you're on your hands and knees and it's mm. just, it's mind numbing. There's, there's no, mm. you're not working your mind at all. So it was pretty, pretty bad for me. Yeah. Mm. But um, by doing this, yeah, like I love it. It's just what I would do if I like if I'm not doing anything with my family or something, and um, I'm on my computer. I would just go to do the same thing anyways. Like it's just fun for me, I guess. You go code and build something. Yeah, yeah. Any? Do you have any uh, projects outside of Brave? Where I guess your Brave is all encompassing. I was so huge on projects, like personal projects for the longest time, like maybe like 20 years before, <laughs> like, uh, but, but now it's like, it's, there's just so much that, that I'm doing and, uh, and it's, it's highly aligned with my interests. So personal projects are combined with work at this point, I think. Yeah. yeah. But, but maybe, maybe eventually one day I would like to uh, just kind of work on my own things. Uh, in- uh, there's, there's uh, like a compression challenge to like, it's, it's a competition and there's a monetary reward as well to see how small you can get this, this, uh, this file down to this Wikipedia data done basically. Um, so that's always, that's, uh, that's always interested me to uh, try to win that. But. Is, is there a theoretical limit to that? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. There is. Yeah. I, I don't know what it is, but like, I mean, at some point there, like you need to have that entropy in there. It's just how, how low can you get, get that too. So it's kind of interesting. Uh, yeah. Anything, anything else you want to throw out there? Any other, um, I don't know, pieces of advice, books, people to follow projects. Um, if not, that's fine too, but no, um, I mean, all Andreas, uh, Antonopoulos's books are, are really good. If you're like a tech, deep technical person, mm. um, like mastering three and mastering Bitcoin, those are really good reads. Mm. Um, uh, audiobook wise, so like, uh, endurance, uh, David Goggins stuff. Mm-hmm. I like to listen to David Goggins is great. Yeah. 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 Good energy. <laughs> definitely, the, definitely the hard, hard energy. <laughs> Next level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you have a site, brianbondi.com. Um, yeah. And you're, you're pretty active on Twitter. Are, are you active on any, any other social networks or mostly just Twitter? Uh, mostly just yeah. Twitter. I mean, I have like a Facebook account, LinkedIn account that I haven't logged into for years or checked. Yeah. But I have like hundreds of, hundreds sure. of thousands of requests that are ignored right now. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cool, man. Well, Brian, thanks so much, man. I really enjoyed getting to know you more and a big supporter of of what you guys have accomplished and wish you all the best. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Around the Coin. If you enjoyed the show today, consider giving us a quick review wherever you listen to podcasts, tweet about it, or text it to a friend. We really appreciate all the support and growing that we can. If you have any guests you'd like us to bring on or feedback for us, don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.